The Orioles' offense was nowhere to be found on Tuesday night, mustering up one hit, one hit, in a loss to the Guardians. We'll recap that loss and then learn more about some players the Orioles drafted. Two pitchers from Indiana, specifically Bradley Brimmer and Reese Sharp, and how they can help out the Orioles' system moving forward. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Wednesday, August 31st, 2022. And welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we're going to start by recapping a clunker of an Orioles loss as they fall 5-1 to to the Cleveland Guardians in game one of the three-game set on Tuesday night. Orioles got one hit. We'll talk about what went wrong, what continues to go wrong for their offense. Then we will continue our 2022 Orioles MLB Draft Profile Series, talking about the two pitchers that the Orioles selected out of Indiana. We're going to be joined by Austin Render. He is the play-by-play voice of Indiana Hoosiers baseball. First, we'll talk about Bradley Brimmer, the right-hander who the Orioles selected in the 12th round. And then we'll chat about Reese Sharp, the Indiana righty who the O's got in the 20th round of this year's draft. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And before we get started, just want to thank you for making Locked On Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. We're free and available on all podcast listening platforms. Make sure to leave a rating and a review if you can. We're five days a week. You get your Orioles content as these O's continue the playoff push. And of course, we're here on YouTube as well. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked on Orioles YouTube channel. And just want to thank you all once again. It looks like, you know, we still got one day here, but August 2022, the biggest listener and viewership month in the history of the Locked on Orioles podcast. This is all thanks to you, listeners and the viewers so thank you again for making locked on orioles your first podcast listen of the day for your first listen today let's start with a rough loss guardians five orioles one the final score from tuesday night in cleveland game one of a big time three game series between two playoff hopefuls in the american league as the orioles fall to 67 and 61 on the loss and the guardians push their lead in the AL Central. Now, as I'm recording here, we'll get to this later, but this was a very quick game. I'm recording here right at about 9 p.m. Eastern time. So Orioles and Guardians by far the first game to finish. Now, Tampa Bay has a pretty healthy lead over Miami. Seattle has a 9-0 lead over Detroit. And the Twins lead the Red Sox 3-1 early in that game. So kind of looking around at the other teams that affect the Orioles. If those scores hold, the O's would be even with the Twins once again. They would fall a game further back of Seattle and Tampa, but the most important score, right now the Cubs lead the Blue Jays 2-1 to in the sixth inning. Now the Cubs did blow a lead on Monday night, but if the Cubs can hold that lead, the Orioles would remain just two games back of Toronto in that final AL wildcard spot. That's obviously the game that matters the most to the Orioles, but either way, they just couldn't get it done on the field, falling 5-1, to one. and I'll get you the five things you need to know from the 5-1 to one loss. And the first thing you need to know is the Orioles' bats were pretty much completely silent 
in this game. One run on just one hit in the game. Their only hit in this one was a leadoff single in the second inning by Ramon Arias. Shot a ball the other way for a base hit and ended up later in the inning coming around to score after a Kyle Stowers walk. Austin Hayes grounded into a fielder's choice and Ryan Mountcastle, a sack fly, made it one nothing Orioles in the top of the second. That was all they would get in this game. They'd get a runner on via an error. They'd have a walk later in the game, but didn't have any hits after the leadoff batter in the second inning. That is not good. And give credit to Cal Quantrill, the Cleveland pitcher who went six strong and struck out four. And then they used their three top bullpen guys. Cleveland did not mess around in this game. They went Trevor Stefan, James Karinchak, Emmanuel Classe. That is their usual 7-8-9 combination. That's who they went with. So the Orioles saw the best of the best out of the Cleveland bullpen in this one. But those guys were efficient, barely allowed any base runners. And the O's just completely silent. I mean, you know, they got a big series win in Houston, but they only scored, as we talked about, six runs in those three games in Houston. Somehow got out winning two out of three. Talks about how that can't continue. Well, it certainly did, and the offense looked very rough without really striking out. I mean, the Orioles only struck out six times in Tuesday night's game. That's that's a pretty good number for a 2022 Major League offense, and yet they had some some hard contact. I mean, Mullins, Rutschman, Arias, Mountcastle, Odor all had two hard-hit balls in this game, and it didn't matter. It, it really didn't. Second thing you need to know is that Maybe the one positive you can take offensively is that Ryan Mountcastle, who did not have a hit, did still look pretty good at the plate in this game. And that was hitting in his lowest spot he has hit all year. With the struggles in the second half from Ryan Mountcastle, especially recently, Brandon Hyde dropped him to seventh in the Oriole order on Tuesday night. Now, he had an 0-for-1, but as I mentioned, his first plate appearance was a sack fly in the second, hit a ball hard just shy of the track in right field to put the O's up 1-0, get the RBI. Then he, you know, was retired later in the game, but came up with this in the seventh with two outs and did draw a walk as well, did not strike out in this game. And his other out was also a hard hit ball. So he had two hard hit balls. He had a walk, he had a sack fly, especially for a day where the offense did nothing. At least that's looking up for Ryan Mountcastle. The O's are going to need him to get going here down the stretch. Third thing you need to know as we switch to the pitching side, Spencer Watkins wasn't good in this game. Well, actually, he was good early. And then things just kind of fell apart in the fourth and fifth innings. And it's kind of a start you have to expect from Spencer Watkins from time to time. He goes four and two-thirds innings, allowing five runs on six hits, three strikeouts, no walks, and a home run allowed on 70 pitches. Now, he only allowed four hard-hit balls, but his ERA does jump to 4.26 on the season. And basically the thing with Spencer Watkins, you, know, you look at the line, three strikeouts, no walks, only 70 pitches. He is a guy who peppers the strike zone, tries to hit the corners, but sometimes will leave a ball in the middle of the plate. He throws you a lot of different offerings. Once again, you know, he threw five different pitches, cutter, four-seamer, slider, curveball, changeup in Tuesday night's game, and he tries to just keep you off balance. He's not going to get a lot of swings and misses, had eight whiffs on 33 swings, just the three strikeouts on Tuesday night. He's going to try to mix pitches and hit the corners. And when you're a guy like Watkins, who really does pitch to contact, not at all a huge strikeout guy, every four or five starts, even if you're having success like Watkins has had all year, you're going to have a start like this where you just find the middle of the plate a little too often. Guys get a little bit lucky, barrel you up a couple of times, 
and you just get hit harder than usual or balls just fall in and you get some bad Babbitt luck. And that's kind of what happened to Watkins. I am not concerned about him or his spot in the Orioles rotation. I have full confidence in him going back out there in five days. But this will just happen to a pitcher like Watkins. And sometimes you need your offense to be able to step up when it happens. And obviously the O's did not do that today. Fourth thing you need to know from this one is that at the very least, the Oriole bullpen did step up after Watkins and did not allow an earned run in this game. And why that's so important is it was probably the three lowest rungs on the Oriole bullpen ladder who combined in this game to pitch three and a third scoreless out of the pen. Nick Vespi was the one who relieved Watkins in the fifth inning. Now, he didn't look good, but he ends up with two-thirds of an inning scoreless on two hits. And then Rico Garcia, who had had eight days of rest as kind of the last guy in the Oriole bullpen, came in and got out of a big jam in the sixth inning as he goes two-thirds of an inning scoreless, got out of a bases-loaded jam. And then a big two innings for Keegan Aiken, who pitched the seventh and the eighth. Obviously, very low leverage. Orioles were trailing 5-1. to one. But two scoreless innings, just one hit, one walk, and three strikeouts from Keegan Aiken. His best outing in a long, long time. That looked like first two months of the season, Keegan Aiken, when he was throwing on Tuesday night. That is big for the Oriole bullpen. And obviously, again, he didn't do it in anything close to a high leverage spot. But the O's are going to need him to pitch like that down the stretch if they want to keep this bullpen together. That was at least a positive from Tuesday night's game. And then I would say the one other positive, the fifth and final thing you need to know is that this game was ugly. The Orioles had one hit. They basically didn't do anything on offense. You know, they 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 draw four walks, which was nice, but they they had one hit. They they weren't getting pace runners at all. At the end of the day, at least it was over quickly. They didn't make you suffer. This game in a crisp two hours and 37 minutes was over in Cleveland. And when you combine that with the fact that Cleveland starts their home games an hour early, so it was a 6.10 p.m. Eastern time start, you had a game that was done just after 8.45 p.m. Eastern time. And the rest of us could kind of enjoy the rest of our evenings without having to, you know, sit on that Orioles loss for too long. Hey, you know, you take the little victories in a 162-game season. But the Orioles do lose. Here's to hoping when you're listening to this on Wednesday that uh, the Cubs have beaten Toronto and the O's will stay just two back. But Despite a tough-looking loss at the major league level, Orioles have a lot of good things going on at the minor league level. We talked about on Monday's episode all the exciting promotions. Even a guy who didn't get promoted in Connor Norby had two home runs in AA on Tuesday night. Gunnar Henderson, a three-hit game in AAA on Tuesday night. But there's also some guys coming out of this draft in the lower minors who are exciting as well. And today we're going to learn about two of those guys coming out of Indiana University from the Hoosiers program. And those two guys are the right-hander Bradley Brimmer, who the Orioles took in the 12th round, and the right-handed pitcher Reese Sharp, who the Orioles selected in the 20th round. And joining us here to talk about those two pitchers is Austin Render. He is the play-by-play broadcaster for Indiana Hoosiers baseball, and Austin joins us to talk about the stuff for both Brimmer and Sharp, their roles on this Hoosiers team in 2022, and what they could bring to the Orioles organization moving forward. So that's all coming up here next. But first, got to tell you about betonline.net, your one-stop shop for all your sports betting needs, especially as we hit football season. That's right. Tomorrow night, things really kick off in college football as we have come to week one of the college season. And BetOnline is your number one source for all your pro and college football betting needs 
and info this season. Find all the latest football league developments, game matchups, news, and podcasts, including this year's opening week games. Of course, this weekend, my Terps taken on Buffalo, but really get started on Thursday night. And BetOnline is also your continued source for all your sports wagering info, including live betting, esports, and scores. And they've got all the sports and events, Major League Baseball, of course, MMA, boxing, golf. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action at BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, so we welcome Austin Render into the podcast. He is the play-by-play voice of Indiana Hoosiers baseball. We Get to talk some Big Ten baseball on today's pod. And Austin, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. Connor, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's never too early to talk some Big Ten baseball. Listen, people had some bad things to say about the quality of the conference this year, but I don't want to hear it uh, because there were certainly two quality arms uh, in Bloomington this year and two guys <laughs> we're going to talk about who clearly the Orioles uh, had some scouts in Bloomington this year because Mm -hmm. they were able to pick up Bradley Brimmer in the 12th round and Reese Sharp in the 20th round of this year's draft, two right-handed pitchers out of IU. So I wanted to start with Brimmer uh, with him being the higher draft picked. Obviously he was a guy who had a, you know, pretty fantastic career at Mm -hmm. Wright state, kind of one of the, you know, hidden gems of, of programs um, kind of in the Midwest in terms of mid majors, but he comes to Indiana and I get the ERA was maybe not where he wanted it to be, but how would you assess his one season in red with the Hoosiers? Well, I think that's kind of what I would say is I don't know if the ERA told the whole story of him. Um, I mean, you, you get some some outings where, he, yeah, he had some some rough ones. When you look at Rutgers, four and a third innings, and he allowed seven runs. That's going to really hurt the ERA. But the way he finished the season and obviously the – the complete game against Illinois was the epitome of what Bradley brings to the table. I mean, that guy, he's a bulldog. He He's going to fight through whatever he's got. And I just thought there were times where you could tell he didn't have it, but he was able to stretch himself a little bit further than you'd like. I mean, he showed some depth this season with six innings against Nebraska, seven against Xavier, six against Evansville, obviously the nine against Illinois, six against Missouri State. He really had a lot of good stuff. And and to me, the biggest character for him is like the ERA. And I think that was kind of team-wide. It was not a good year in terms of team ERA for Indiana's pitching staff. But it was just because they were so up and down. They'd have these games where they'd allow 18 runs, but then they'd have a game where they'd allow two. And so I think he was kind of that. When he flashed his stuff, he was as good as anybody in that pen or in that staff. And then he'd like everybody else just have that occasional game where he just didn't have it. Yeah. And also offense was up across college baseball mm, this year. It was so, and everywhere in the big 10 yeah, too. I mean, the, the in the big 10, especially the hitters were well ahead yep. of the pitchers just across yep. the board. I mean, you look at the teams that kind of came out of the big 10 this year, Maryland, Rutgers, Michigan were kind of the top three. They were clearly offense led teams all year. Yep. And that inflated ERAs across the conference. But I think the next question for some people is still okay with a five plus ERA you know, what makes a guy a 12th round selection? Obviously, number one is six foot six. The Orioles are going to like that release point. But number two, kind of what do you think from seeing him pitch was the stuff that, you know, got him on the O's radar to take him in the 12th round? Everything when it comes to Indiana and the mantra that this team and the coaching staff rides with is all about the inner part of the plate. Can you get a fastball inside on the inner half of the plate? Can you run a fastball in that top inside corner can and it that's just so much about winning the inside part of the plate 
And that developed as the year went on. You saw him almost early, a little bit timid against some of those big 10 hitters because yeah, you put something in there, you go inside, you leave it over the middle. Every team in the big 10 has guys that are going to make you pay for that. So it's, it's earning that inside part of the plate. The fastball was so good uh, at, at times in this season. And that was what it was all about. But I mean, you mentioned it, the hitters and the way it worked in the big 10, everybody kind of stayed uh, hitting wise because of the shortened draft last year. And so then all the pitchers went, but the hitter stayed and every team was dealing with it. So I just thought the way he grew as the season went on, I mean, that's a jump from mid-major baseball to Big Ten baseball. And and I thought he really showed out, uh, especially in the Big Ten tournament. You mentioned the fastball some and the ability to pitch inside. What kind of does the repertoire in total look like for Bradley Brimmer? Yeah, he's got a um, he's got some off speed pitches that he has worked with, uh, but it's I think it's a three pitch uh, arsenal for Bradley Brimmer, and I think they were working on developing more. I don't know where that ended up getting to, but uh, I mean, honestly, it, it just it's all about the location for him and finding that that curveball uh, that can get kind of the. You establish the fastball on the inside, then you get him with a, a kind of a sl- – I think he had a slider, actually. Um, and you work with the slider on the outside part of the plate for him. So I wanted to to flip things over to Reese Sharp because mm-hmm. despite him being the lower draft pick, the Orioles take him with their final pick in the 20th round. In terms of what I saw from these guys, I mean, I was pr- probably impressed by Reese Sharp and what he did to Maryland in the Big Ten tournament. Um, the, more yeah. impressed by him than, than any other pitcher I saw in the Big Ten this year. And he went, I think, five-plus innings, struck out nine. You know, Maryland mm-hmm. eventually walked that game off in extra innings, but he came into the middle of the game and essentially just kept Indiana in the 1-8 matchup in the Big Ten tournament. So, you know, my first question on Sharp is, you know, I know he was basically a, a reliever all year, but what kind of was his role? Because he certainly was not a, you know, come in, get three outs in the eighth inning and leave the game kind of guy. Well, and that's the funny thing is I think, I don't think they even had the role that he finished the season with was not the role I think they expected him to be in. I mean, you talk about a guy, you go back to 2021. I mean, Reese Sharp is a microwave kind of player. He starts his career in Indiana, his first looks on the mound, his first six appearances he gives up nothing, not a single run. And toward the end of 2021, he started giving up a couple of runs, but still finished with a 3-180 RA. And then in 2022, it was just, it was one of those seasons that everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And at one point, his season ERA was up to 11 uh, and it was as high as 10 on April 20th. And then that was when things just something clicked and they started working him out of the stretch uh, instead of letting him do a windup, no matter what, he was always out of the stretch and they started using him. And there was one game in particular, I believe it was Illinois and Indiana's down, I think by two runs and they know how important this game is. It's the fifth inning. I think Brimmer was the starter. And he was struggling a little bit. And so they said, you know what? We're going to bring Reese Sharp in because we know he can give us a couple of innings. And then we'll figure out the seventh, eighth, and the ninth down the road. Well, then he just went ahead and pitched the rest of the game. He pitched the final four and a third, five and a third, whatever it was. 
And it was unbelievable. And the guy just has a fire to him. And you saw that in the Maryland game of the Big Ten tournament. You saw that many times down the stretch in the Big Ten. He became the ace that this team had. And nothing epitomized his toughness more than the Michigan weekend. He goes out on a uh, Saturday, I believe, and he throws an inning and a third, 20 pitches. He gets a save. Then the next day, they throw him three innings, 53 pitches. He allows just one run and gets the win. And there was a point there where he went, I believe it was seven straight. Yeah, seven straight appearances with either a save or a win. And he figured something out. And a lot of it was really uncomplicating the situation for him. And, and it was similar to Ty Bothwell as well. They both kind of went through this. Working out of the stretch limiting the pitches and just going after guys and they just turn their seasons around and Reese finishes the season with a six, four, two ERA. And I know on paper that doesn't look good, but when just a month before that, it was a 10, almost 11, it was incredible. The turnaround he had coming home. Yeah. You basically have to separate the pitcher of the beginning of the season yeah. versus the pitcher in the final month, because he mm -hmm. was something special and just going off that, that appearance in the Big Ten tournament because that culminated, you know, when you go five plus innings in relief and it's not a blowout game, like you're out there in a one run game, a tie yeah. game, and your season's on the line. I mean, you know, Indiana did end up losing that game, but, you know, if you win that game, you put yourself in a much better spot to, you know, kind of continue your season. And he kept him in it the entire way. And it, you know, you talked about simplifying things. It was basically just fastball up, yes. breaking ball in the dirt. And yep. he just had so good control of those pitches that it seemed like that was kind of the only pitch mix that he needed. He technically has a four-pitch arsenal with fastball, uh, curveball, slider, changeup. But you're right. It was just a lot of fastball, slider, and just working that. And it was – I mean, that I just remember in that game, and there were many times this year where they would do this with pitchers because the pitching staff struggled this year. And so when you have a guy like Reese that's rolling like he was, you just keep sending him out there. But there were so many times where I'd be sitting there in between innings, talking to the guys, I'm like, there's no way he's coming back in. Right. And then here he comes trotting out of the, out of the dugout, doing it again. It was, it was truly incredible. You talk about Bradley Brimmer being a bulldog. I mean, there's Reese Sharp was unbelievable. 93 pitches in that Big Ten tournament relief appearance against Maryland, it was it was a band. He was a band aid for the pitching staff down the stretch to just put on some some bleeding, and that's what the offense was so good. All you needed was somebody to go out there and kind of plug the hole just a little bit, just to stop the bleeding for a moment, let the offense catch up, and that happened because of Reese and what he brought to the table. Yeah, it, it was frustrating to watch that one as a Terps fan, uh, but very <laughs> exciting to see when the O's drafted him in the 20th round because that name immediately, light bulb in my head, said, oh, that was one of the most dominant performances I watched all year in college baseball, yeah. so that should be good. But it kind of brings me to my last question about Reese Sharp because you know he obviously worked essentially exclusively as a reliever in his mm -hmm. you know two seasons mm -hmm. at Indiana, but when you look what he was able to do at times out of the bullpen and you look at 93 pitches in a yep. you know, Big Ten tournament yep. game, and that's some of that was just sheer adrenaline, that, you know, yeah. how he was staying out there. But, yeah. you know, you're obviously and neither am I inside the minds of the Orioles player development staff. But do you think if they turned to him and said, we want to stretch you back into a starter, which I assume he was probably doing in high school, do you think that could work out for him? Because he's at least shown the stamina that he still has a four pitch mix and he can still work deep into a game. No, it definitely is possible. And Indiana, I think, wanted that. That's why I say I think his role changed as the season went on because he did start a game 
early in the season. I believe it was against Clemson. And he struggled early, obviously. And, and like I said, everything that could go wrong, it felt like did go wrong for him. And some of that was him and his stuff. And some of that was just stuff he couldn't control. But they did initially. I mean, I, I'm reading the scouting report says, I mean, he conditioned to potentially be a starter down the road. And I think they were thinking that. But then he just became this all star either middle inning reliever or end of the bullpen guy. And you're like, well, you can't take him out of that spot. And Indiana needed a third starter all year and they just could never find one. But I think he settled into that role and they just said, you know what, we're going to keep him here because it's working. But I think that's definitely a possibility for him coming down the road is to potentially be groomed into a starter. Yeah. Very college baseball thing is keep him here because it's working. Yeah. But, but, (laughs) but I think, you know, the O's are, are definitely seeing Brimmer, Uh, as a starter long term but it'll be interesting to see what sharp does you know so far in his pro career in low a two appearances three innings and hasn't allowed a run while striking out Mm -hmm. six batters so it's uh and a save right yeah it's he's gotten himself a save it's uh it's gone well for him so far but uh, he has to channel the emotion too that's so important for him because he feeds off of it and if he can channel that that's so important and i i just think he's so smart uh i sat next to him on a a plane ride and and we had just lost a Rutgers. He had come in in like the eighth inning up by one. He gave up two solo home runs of the ninth to tie and walk off. And I mean, the guy could have just been, and I think that was, he had started the season 0 and 6 or 0 and 7. And he's on this airplane and this very nice older lady is sitting next to him and just asking him who he is, who does he play for? So he's explaining just, just in the night that you'd have no idea that he just was the pitcher who gave up a walk off home run. And he's talking about how he wants to be a coach when he is done playing. So he said he is mentally scribing everything that the coaching staff is telling him, everything that he has learned at IU. He said he's got a mental bank and he's ready to use it, obviously, as a player, but then down the road as a coach. So I think he's so smart. He understands where and where, like what makes him best, what makes uh, his stuff the best. And I think he can use that to his advantage as he goes through the Orioles system. Two exciting right-handers that the Orioles picked up, both from the Indiana Hoosiers in this year's draft. And Austin, thank you so much for joining us to tell us a little more about both Bradley Brimmer and Reese Sharp. And uh, we hope they can continue to have success in the O system. But thanks again for coming on the pot. Connor, I appreciate it. Best of luck to uh, to both of those guys and to you and the Orioles. Hopefully things uh, keep going up with uh, some Hoosiers helping you out there. So our thanks again to Austin Render, the play-by-play voice of Indiana Hoosiers baseball, for joining us to tell us about two Orioles draft picks from the 2022 draft. A couple of guys they took on the third day was Bradley Brimmer in the 12th round and Reese Sharp in the 20th round. A couple of right-handers out of that Indiana pitching staff that the Orioles were all over. And obviously, you know, we talked a little bit more about Sharp than we did about Brimmer. I just saw a lot more of Reese Sharp, and and I think the Orioles see a lot in Bradley Brimmer, too. He's got a really good breaking ball. They like the length he can give. They see something out of that, but Reese Sharp in the 20th round may have been the value pick for the Orioles this year. You remember they got Trendon Craig in the 20th round last year. He's been pretty good in the minors. Sharp has some incredible stuff working out of the bullpen. He can be a swing guy. I really like the swing and miss in his game, and it was cool to learn about a couple other pitchers who have joined the Orioles system as minor leaguers here for the O's, and As we talked about, you know, they will try to work their way 
up the system. But we're not done learning about Orioles draft picks this week and some minor league baseball as well. We'll talk a little bit more about that in the final couple of episodes of the week, including tomorrow when we return for a Thursday episode of the podcast. Of course, I'll recap game two between the Guardians and the Orioles in that one. Get you ready for game three, a little more draft talk, get you prepared for Grayson Rodriguez to return to the mound, some news on Tyler Wells and how long it's going to take for him to rejoin the Orioles. And we'll chat a little more, you know, will it be Gunnar Henderson and D.L. Hall who will be those call-ups on Thursday to join the Orioles when they get the two extra roster spots. But that's all coming up on tomorrow's episode. Until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.